Right. So Django's, I think, is my favorite feedback, um, which is probably worth following up on just for the sake of, you know, the three people listening to us, because Django's feedback was, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was, you motherfuckers better go back to the beginning and record from the beginning of the show also. Yeah. And I don't think that we actually clarified that when we recorded last week. I think you're right. Yeah. So I think it's worth noting that, you know, we, our idea was to just start where we are now and just go forward. And then in a few episodes, when the season is over, that'll give us some time to go backwards, start at the beginning, you know, do some different reflections on, you know, the show so far through two seasons, our favorite episodes, favorite moments. But I I think our intention, if uh, we're both on the same page is to go back to episode one and start from episode one and move forward. And it would be a great thing to be putting up on Fridays for everybody to fill the Friday void of Ted Lasso. Absolutely. Um. Bros, here we are. Season two, episode eight, Man City. Um, description for this episode, Ted and Dr. Sharon realize that they might have to meet each other halfway. Tensions are high as the team prepares for the FA Cup semifinals against Man City. And like just the description alone right out the gate. And then the first like two minutes of the show, I was like, God damn, Jeff is right about everything he said last week of Ted needing to learn to meet people in the middle, specifically Dr. Sharon needing to meet her in the middle. And we start the episode right off with Dr. Sharon on the phone with her therapist um, and her therapist saying, you know, you and Ted are a lot alike. And if you're going to make any progress with him whatsoever, you need to meet him in the middle. And I was like, there's Jeff's point from last week, right there, like right out the gate. So fantastic work. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, so, okay immediately i love it do you think that was her therapist or her friend on the phone with her well she said right when they got on the phone she said um the the woman she was on the phone with said the only thing uh i can sure she said only thing worse than a patient patient being late is a patient not showing up at all so the woman on the phone specifically refers to her as a patient okay that's a good catch i thought it was just the, the um okay okay but will i have a small warm-up exercise for us as we right. get into episode two of ted last bros will and jeff here thanks everyone for listening we got some good positive feedback on episode one and uh will and i are going to be doing this whether people like it or not because good god the show is so good we love the show i mean we're going to talk about it so we're going to record it and if we're the only ones who listen to our voices talk about it then I'm okay with that. I just compulsively record myself while I talk when I'm not in public spaces. (laughs) Um, But I, as I was, so I kind of make a joke every time the show starts in the opening credits roll about the idea that Ted Lasso's influence is turning all of these blue seats to red seats. And I, this was happening, you know, near the end of the Trump era. Um, that I was watching this for the first time. So I was always like, why is he doing that? Like, why is, 
but I'm curious. That's obviously not the effect, but I'm the the scene that like the opening credits of this show. He's sitting down, and blue seats that are blue are turning red to spell his name. And I'm just curious. In your mind, do you pull a metaphor out of that? Do you think that that is indicative of something or means something or is just simply a way to spell a name and seats? I, I guess I haven't thought about it a ton. I guess maybe it's maybe it's crossed my mind for a moment, but I haven't spent a ton of time on it. But just having you talk about like the blue seats or red seats, the only thing that kind of jumps into my brain immediately is like the blue of Manchester City and then the red of AFC Richmond um, and something going on there. And, but I don't, I'm, re- I'm really more than curious what you are pulling from it. Well, it's just not, there's nothing clicking for me outside of that. I just overly look for metaphors and everything like compulsively, like recording myself. Um, I always like to, especially things that I love. I kind of assume there's a deeper meaning there. Um so with that one, the, the one that kind of jumps out to me is just sort of his, especially within the first season, his effect on people, just like the presence of Ted Lasso kind of encourages people to become better or just being around him kind of, he has an effect and growth happens with all of those people. So I always kind of choose to think that it's a sort of visual metaphor of his effect on the community and country that he's now in sort of going from not necessarily political blues and reds, but like just sort of him sitting down changes things um, is, 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 as I guess what I choose to think, but also, you know, if so, you look for metaphors all the time, you're good. If we're looking for metaphors in the, in the title, in the intro or the theme song, um, so much of the show, especially this episode seems to be about daddy issues, father and son issues, um, do you think that's why we only get Mumford and not Sons? Ooh, recording? yeah. I guess I would just always assume Mumford is trying to break out on his own or something, you know, separate right. himself from the there's band. A, there's, a, there's, there's obviously a, a rift with the Sons. Yeah. Uh, much like we see in, in this episode, Man City. And I just like, I want to say that the title as well, that's where I was really looking for the metaphor. And when I first saw the title Man City, I was just thinking, you know, Manchester mm. City that they're playing. But the after watching the episode, to me, it was, you know, this episode is very much about fathers and right. father figures and male role models. And like Man City now kind of means a different thing to me in terms of, um, you know, what makes a man, what makes a father, what makes a, you know, a, a, a male role model. And there was so much of this in this episode. Um, after finishing watching the first time, I was just like, boy, it's a good thing that Jeff and I both don't have any dad issues whatsoever. Because <laughs> this is going to be a cakewalk to talk about. Yeah. And uh, if anyone who doesn't know us intimately, uh, that was sarcasm on the part of Bill <laughs> Elmer. So, um, but I interrupted your, your good summary, which I love leading these episodes with. So um, if you want to just, yeah, give us some some broads, where, broad strokes of where this episode took us and what happened, then we can get yeah. into it. So coming out of last week where we saw Ted kind of finally accepting and seeking therapy, we saw that Rebecca still hadn't accepted Sam, responded to Sam's messages last episode. Um, You know, we had the Keely and Roy storyline and then, um, you know, Nate and his wonder kid persona, um, you know, reaching peak uh, jerk status. So leading into this week, we left a couple of those storylines behind, right? We didn't get a whole lot of Keely and Roy stuff. We still had some good moments with both of them. 
And we didn't get a whole lot with Nate's Wonderkin stuff. The closest I felt like I saw was um, when he found out that Roy had been asked to lead practice. And it felt like there was maybe a brief moment of like, wait, why was, why was Roy asked? Um, this week, we start off with Sharon and talking to her, I believe, therapist, um, then going for a bike ride and gets hit by a car. And then the rest of the episode is kind of Ted looking after her and being worried about her and trying to connect with her. Um, we have Sam and Rebecca finally decide to meet and in some incredible, um, you know, season defining moments. Um, Roy needs to figure out how to become a better role model for his niece, Phoebe. And we ride along with some of that journey. And then uh, we get some more father son moments with Jamie and his dad and Jamie's dad just being complete human garbage, as well as a brief interaction with Sam and, and his father. So that kind of brings together like the big pictures of this episodes. Um, so just diving right into it, you know, I don't know if we should save the, the, the elephant in the room for kind of the main storyline of the episode, I would say, with Ted and Dr. Sharon, yeah. or if you want to save that for later, but there's so much going on there. It's hard to not want to talk about that right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, you know, I have a tendency to want to try and take things and really boil it down to like who was the real uh focus of this episode of this show or what was I kind of lump each episode of like what is the theme of this episode but to me this one was really about Dr. Sharon um and and kind of going back to this theme of meeting in the middle you know I think she's also kind of struggled to meet people in the middle a little bit and I think this one really showed her leading that charge um with with Ted I think that her willingness to after she they separated for the day um, when she talked to him on the phone and said like hey Ted I was really scared today I think that was a really uh, courageous thing for her to do and I think that her ability to do that is what allowed Ted to make the revelation that he made which is uh, near the end of the episode during the, the football game he starts to have another panic attack, it seems, and he goes out and calls Dr. Sharon, and we get the massive revelation that when he was 16, his father killed himself, um, which is, I think, the elephant in the room that you're, you're mentioning. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was the bomb. That was a bomb dropping. It and like, sure was. So many catalysts of the episode that led up to that, right? You, you, you hit the nail on the head where, you know, Dr. Sharon finally realized, you know, that it was time for her to meet Ted in the middle and, and share that moment. And, you know, there was other catalysts as well, which was kind of, um, you know, Roy, like the, mo the, the the scene with Jamie and his dad, and then Roy oh. kind of manning up and being there as a, as a kind of a positive, you know, male role model stepping in where Jamie's dad wasn't stepping in. And Roy Kent, of all people, just kind of was that extra catalyst for, uh, for Ted. And I was... I mean, man, I, I just have to say, like, this episode was just freaking incredible. Just, just yeah, top un, unbelievably good. It was top 45 tier. minutes long. Thank goodness. Which, you know, there was a point where I was like, this episode is long. It never felt long. I just no. knew runtime wise, it had a kind of almost a finale type of a feeling to it and the length of it. Uh, but man, not a, not, a, not a moment of screen time felt wasted. Uh, everything had a purpose. And just having that bomb dropped on us at the end, um, you know, or this, you know, there was still another bomb kind of dropped after that a little bit, but having, having that moment was so powerful. 
And I was texting um, my friend Corwin uh, about the episode just a little bit after we were talking. And he was like, he had just watched the episode too. And he said, you got to go back and rewatch that dartboard scene from season one, and which gotta, I did. You, remind me of that. Cause you had mentioned that and I haven't gone back and I don't even remember that scene. I so. mean, that's, that's, to me, one of my favorite moments of the series when oh, yeah. is in the bar playing darts against uh, Rupert. Giles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, exactly. Um, playing darts uh, and then tells the story about how, uh, you know, he's telling the story of Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. And, you know, all those people didn't ask questions. And if you had just bothered to ask me questions, like say, hey, Ted, you ever played darts before? Um, I would say, yes, sir, I did from age 10, uh, you know, every Sunday uh, at a bar. I think he says every Sunday at a bar with my father from age 10 to 16, right before he passed away mm -hmm. or right, right when he passed away. That that's one of I think one of the most powerful moments or just incredibly like emotionally gripping moments of season one. Um, just a, a super fun moment in general. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was so freaking impressive for them to have such an amazing, powerful, incredible moment in season one. And then from afar, all the way into towards the end of season two, to be able to go back to that moment and add just a subtle layer of sadness to that scene, which is seemingly just a, you know, exciting and powerful and fun moment for the show to now add this tiny bit of undercurrent of sadness to it that they don't really touch on. And so you just kind of move like, it hits you briefly that, oh, Ted lost his dad when he was 16, but I did, didn't I didn't even really register with me that much as it could be an issue for Ted or a cause of, of some issues until we see it in this season. So when they drop that and then you go back and see that again, you're like, oh my God, like we mentioned last week, there's so many seeds of the show planted throughout mm -hmm. season one and then leading into season two that so many character choices and decisions and um all kind of seem rooted and cons uh, uh, internally consistent with the first season. And that's just another prime example of one that's, you know, internally consistent with the story and the arc of the character that was there the whole time. Um, but it wasn't really apparent to us until well, they dropped and, it. Off. And I would add that um, until last week, I had been kind of thinking that they did change the direction of Ted a little bit. Well, it, to sort of make him, somebody who needs to do more work in this season, or at least having his holes a little bit more apparent than in the first season. But you had done a really fantastic job of illustrating how clear those holes or seeds were planted in the first season. And that's another instance of that being there in season one and us not knowing or being able to, you know, see the full effect of it. But, you know, to that point, when we talked last week about when he has the panic attack and it's kind of Jamie and his dad having a conversation, you know, that was a question. Um, and then the, the panic attack before that, I bet that there's seeds to that as well, like audi auditorily. Um, so it's just really interesting how much of this show was fully formed when they wrote the first season or not. You know, like I'm more and more, like I guess I was thinking that it was a one season show and then kind of the success of it got them to do seasons two and three. But I really each episode makes me think more and more that the whole arc of it was at least uh, formed in some regard while they were writing season one, which I think is just a testament to how fantastic the show is. Um, and 
those father issues. I really like what you said about Man City. I, I was thinking in this episode, the theme that I sort of pulled from it was this idea that we all need to find a way to be vulnerable. Um, I think that a lot of the growth that happens in this episode comes from Dr. Sharon allowing herself to be vulnerable with Ted, which I don't think had happened. And in doing so, it allowed Ted to be vulnerable. I felt like um, the even the like Roy stuff, he's being vulnerable with Phoebe. I love his line of you're the best part of me. And she says, I'm as good as the best part of you. Um, he yeah. said, you're better than me. And she says, I'm as good as the best version of you. Um, and I think that Rebecca and Sam, both of them needed to find a place to be vulnerable. But I think that that kind of dovetails into what I do think now that you've addressed it is maybe the larger theme, especially with the name, but like Man City, the father-son relationship throughout this ent entire episode is, is really a strong undercurrent, um, especially like when you, just that perfectly mirrored scene of Sam talking to his dad yeah. and Jamie having talked to his dad. So that, that I think the father issues in there um, that didn't immediately strike me, especially that name connection as a big theme in this episode, but you're that, right. I that, think that really is. That moment too was, was uh, so incredible because, you know, and, and, and the idea of Man, Man City for me, like that theme, like, I think you're, you know, very on point. And then for me, a little bit of Man City was just redefining the idea of what, what a man should be maybe. Mm -hmm. Cause there's a, there's the kind of the idea um, or the the broy kind of idea of a man, I suppose, which is very much encapsulated in what Jamie's dad is. Right. And then different versions of what uh, you know, man uh, can aspire to be, or what men can be, which is more vulnerable and more open and more you know uh, sensitive or you know aware and conscientious of others and um, compassion. So we saw a lot of this and like it's interesting to see like Jamie's dad kind of just, um, you know, being who he is and Jamie not even wanting to pick up the phone to talk to him. But we all, you know, we saw a couple episodes back, we saw Sam get scolded by his dad. Yeah. You know, he's, he sent his dad a picture or, you know, whatever the advertisements that he was in and his dad admonished him. It was like, I'm so ashamed of you. I'm embarrassed. This is, you know, this is, this is, you're bringing shame onto our family type of, uh, response from his dad and his, that that when that happened several episodes ago was kind of jarring and like you know why is he being such a jerk to his son who's just you know proud of something he did mm -hmm. but his dad was ultimately teaching him a bit of a lesson or helping him grow as an individual and and continuing to kind of teach him values that his dad's probably been teaching him his entire life and now that Sam, you know, took a stand and stood, had a, stood for something, you know, his dad was right there to continue to be his dad. So it was a more, you know, we got a different picture of kind of the tough love right. of a father and trying to teach their child, even as they're an adult, still trying to teach their child um, and maybe being a little bit tough on him, but then still being there and telling him how proud he is. And they have some great moments that they share together. The Roy, Jamie to witness. The Roy hug with Jamie, I think was, probably my favorite moment of the episode but just that that um him filling that role that clearly the father has never been there like that vulnerability jamie allowed himself to be really vulnerable there and at the same time roy was allowing himself to be really vulnerable like he's only ever i think exposed that part of himself with phoebe 
um, or Keely. But yeah, the just that that hug I thought was so phenomenal and really spoke yeah. to that idea of like found family or found father roles. And it wasn't it wasn't out of nowhere either. You know, right. one of Sarah Sarah pointed out that there was still continuing. There's when her and I were talking about it after the episode, but there was there's even more of the kind of male role model stuff, you know, with Roy obviously being a male role, role model to Phoebe. But when Roy goes to the school um, to talk to the you know, teacher, principal, guidance, whoever it was, um, and she asks about Phoebe's father and Roy's just like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, Roy being aware of what terrible father figures can do to somebody's life. And it, I, you know, in my mind, I projected that Roy has really stepped in to be right. this for Phoebe because he saw what a terrible father Phoebe's father was. So just him being there to see that in person with Jamie's dad, I think kind of clicked it in his brain a bit of like, you know, this is why I have to be there for Phoebe. And Jamie's never had this. It's time for me to be there for him. And this may be as why he's kind of being he's been the person that he has been. It's because of his father and, and wanting to step in. And you're right. I mean, there's just like the final five minutes of this episode was just like incredible moment after incredible moment after incredible moment. And that was, that was a huge one. I, on the topic of the final five minutes, I got very nervous and I'm curious what your read on the situation of the final conversation between Ted and the assistant coach. Like that seemed like some, I, I guess I just got really worried that he was going to die between this episode and the next episode. And I'm curious what your read on it is. Cause he, you know, Ted's like, Hey, don't forget. We got to hang out tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he's, yeah. he just really needed to go be alone or he was inviting Ted, but Ted couldn't do it. And it just seemed like they really labored over that moment. And I'm curious what your read of it was. It's, I, I typed into my notes that I felt like there was some, it feels, you know, I give it, uh, 10 out of 10 for the episode. And then, but it feels like there's some shakeups or some doom and gloom, like right around the corner. Like it definitely left, you know, we ended on a really high note that we'll talk about with, with Rebecca and Sam, but like leading up to that, like there was our, we were just on this emotional roller coaster yeah. and there was just some uneasy feeling about coach beard. Now, now that being said, the next episode's title is beard after hours Okay. And I saw a bit of the description that was like coach beard is, you know, out on the town trying to shake, shake off the loss and okay. you know, hitting up the bars or the nightclubs or something. So it could be, uh, you know, him just being crazy and wild, but you know, obviously there's, you know, he's pretty unhappy and there's some, some depression or something in there mm -hmm. um, that's, that's fueling him. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see because he's obviously a character that doesn't necessarily open up emotionally. Like he's probably more emotionally closed off than um, Ted or Roy, yeah. you know, a group of emotionally closed off individuals who are learning to grow emotionally. Coach Beard might be the most closed off. I love individual. the way he addresses it as well. Like there was a really good bit in the last episode, but when it's just he and Roy standing there silently in a room for several seconds and then Keely comes in and they don't say anything. He's like, I'm glad we didn't have to. That's the, that was the beginning of this episode. And yeah. that was, that was great. Yeah. It was like, uh, I respect that. We didn't, I respect yeah. her for, that. We didn't have to say anything at all. Uh, she's just like, all right, well, you know, F you both and walks out of the room and then Nate comes in. He's like, I'm going to be a spokesperson. Yeah. Um, on the topic of Nate, were you bummed or I guess 
I, I love the pacing of this show because I love when they choose to draw things out, which is seldom. And I like that. I like that we deal with things quickly in the way that humans do. And it's not spending two episodes kind of just pulling out a TV show. I think the legacy of this show is going to be that it's something that people will have wanted for much more than three seasons. And it sounds like they firmly are saying three seasons. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, but with the Nate thing, I, I liked that he wasn't just like kind of a heel turn. Oh, he's becoming this bad guy type thing. Like he's still their buddy. He's a good guy. It didn't need to infect everything within him. But I also am like, okay, that's probably going to come up later. We'll get resolution to that. But I also, I guess, was kind of looking for that storyline in this episode. And I'm curious um, where you're at with that. Because I also think that the Nate, the dark turn, it was a little bit rougher on you. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I thought about it. I thought it's it's not, it didn't really show its head in the episode very much. Mm-hmm. But we also spent very little time with, with Nate. We did see him continuing to be, you know, quintessential Nate with him, you know, calling the the, the referee. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember Get what he called him. the shit out of your eyes, you <laughs> cockless something. Yeah, <laughs> and Ted said, oh, we, we know you have, we know you actually have a dick. Don't worry. Like, I've been called much worse. Um, you know, so we still saw a couple of Nate moments, but it wasn't really a super Nate episode. So I kind of just thought, well, you know, he apologized to the team at the end of the last episode. So by everybody's account, Nate is back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we saw that moment that no one else saw um, with the, uh, I still, I should have, I feel so bad that I still don't remember this kid's name, the tell <laughs> the water. Yeah, boy. I know it's um, not Colin, but yeah, <laughs> not, not Colin. Um, you know, he's the only one who was there for that moment along with us. So it's not surprising that we didn't necessarily get more of that now because they didn't, they didn't leave it where he's just completely over, you know, unbearable and um dominating everybody mm-hmm. it was like there's it's just here under the current so it's gonna bubble back up at some point it'll be there but it, it may be a seed planted for this you know into this finale it may be a seed planted for next season um i feel like at this point with the show it could it could come up anywhere at any time right uh, but when it does it'll probably feel really natural and like it was you know it was bound to happen at that point um you and I both follow sports, different sports in different capacities. I follow American football quite a bit and you follow the, uh, the, the basketball world. Basketball. And, and uh, I'm curious, have you ever watched the show Friday Night Lights? Never. I watched the, the, the Netflix uh, little clip that they preview you when you flip onto it, when you're flipping through Netflix. And I said, I should watch this show one day. I hear, I hear good things, but it is, it is, um, one of my favorite shows especially the first season of that show i do think is one of the most perfect first seasons or just single seasons of a television show ever um but i that series comes to mind a lot for me when i talk about or think about ted lasso with people because when recommending the show to people i've heard like i'm not going to watch a show about soccer and it's like yeah it's it's not really about soccer almost at all in fact and and that's kind of the thing about friday night lights is it's not really about football much i would say uh friday night lights is a bit more about football than this one is about soccer but i bring the comparison up because we go into this game that on paper seems like we were going to win this game um just kind of the flow of the show we 
lost at the end of season one. We are going to get back into the league. We want to be in through victory in this season. And then maybe have our triumphant win at the end of season three. And we lose this game. So I walked into this thinking we were going to win, but wasn't at all surprised kind of shockingly when we didn't win. Um, But I, I guess what I'm curious is this show it's hard for me to know where we're at in the season of soccer or what our win loss kind of ratio is or where we're at in terms of nearing the end of the season and how our team is standing. And I think Friday night lights does steep you a little bit more in the, the kind of if they need to win or lose a game or whatnot. Whereas um, this one, I'm just curious where we're, we're at with this team's success at this point with this very big loss. I'm like, are we out of the running from being able to go back up to the division that we wanted to be in? Um, and, and sort of where are you at with just sort of following the success of the team? Um, does it feel like we're out of the running? I think that it's, a. they talked about, they talked about it earlier this season when Ted was learning about how the like mid season tournament uh played out and right it's 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 very un-american sports there's not a lot of american sports that have mid-season tournaments but other uh other countries and football and other sports even basketball and other countries do mid-season tournaments i think ncaa might do some mid-season tournaments and the um i think even the wnba just started experimenting so that's that's what I think that this was for was it was a mid season tournament that they could win. That would maybe help them, um, you know, be, be promoted or unrelegated or whatever the term was that they uh, told us earlier. But I, my, my basis for watching this has been um, the movie, the major league movies. Mm, never have, seen them, but I know of so, that. The very first time I watched the show, I was like, this is me. The show is major league, but with soccer, like it's a hundred percent. And if you look it up online, you see other people's descriptions. They're like, oh, it's major league, but with soccer. Cause the, 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 you know, it's Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen and a bunch of other, you know, old actors from the eighties, nineties. And it's a, a female owner who wants to tank the team and, so that the, she can move it to a more prosperous city than Cleveland. Oh, wow, that's so. Close. There's the whole idea of her just doing everything that she can to sabotage the team and bring in, you know, washed up players and washed up coaches and things like that, and they all rally together to try to win. But like the first major league movie, spoilers for a 30 year old <laughs> comedy baseball movie. The first major league movie, I think they, you know, the climax of the movie is like them. It's either them making the playoffs or them winning their division going from a losing team to winning a small victory in the playoffs. It's a more reasonable, small step forward. It's not like, Oh, we were the worst team in the league. And suddenly we're going to win the championship. Right. It was like, Oh, we made it to the playoffs or we made it to, um, you know, uh, what uh, the next stage. Um, what's the, you know, the conference in basketball, it would be like the Eastern or Western conference finals before the, uh, the championship in the NFL and then is a similar thing. Yeah. The second major league movie, they make it one step farther. I think they make it to the world series and that's the end of the movie. So if I was going to base anything off of that, that's kind of my expectation is that they're not necessarily going to be like, they win the whole effing thing. Um, but, but maybe 
but to further that major league comparison, in the, either the first or the second one, there's a there's a pretty notable quoted line from Tom Berenger that says, "We're going to win the whole effing thing," and Ted says that exact line mm-hmm. at the end of season one when he's sitting there with Rebecca and she says, "You know, you're still here. We're gonna." You're, yeah. you're back next season. And he says, all right, well, we're going to win the whole fucking thing. And uh, so I think that was the show's little wink and a nod to their connection to the major league movies. Um, I have been lobbing some questions your way and I have a couple more, but I, I want to make sure and open up the dialogue for you. If you had uh, things that you wanted to, to pose for me. I do. Uh, I wanted to, well, I really want to talk about Sam and Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um I think everything about that was kind of perfect. Yeah. The, the meeting, you know, the, it was a great moment um, in the locker room when Sam was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it and said, I'll be here tonight. You better be there. And then she's all right, I'll see you there. Um, that was a great moment with Sam in the locker room and those great moments with Rebecca and Keely leading up to that. But then just the way that it all kind of played out in the restaurant and Sam was like, Nope, you know, no pressure. Let's just have dinner. And then they're having fun. And those were such great moments. And then they kissed. And it brought me back to our conversation last week of um, you talking about Rebecca kind of always wanting to take the easy way out when it comes to relationships. And I felt like she finally, she finally took that step forward to take the more difficult path. Because at this point, like her going forward in this relationship nothing about it going forward is going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious though, cause you were, I guess you were, I wouldn't say you were anti shipping them, but you were kind of just hoping that they would just form a connection and be friends and that the show wouldn't necessarily go in this direction. Right? You didn't out and out say, I don't want them to go this direction. Um, but it didn't seem like it was the way you wanted it to go based on our conversation. So how do you feel now? Well, I, I definitely love the idea of the two of them as a couple. I think that probably what I intonated was more I, from a projection of the story standpoint. It seems it seemed kind of difficult to me to think that the writers would have that relationship be a thing. And I thought that particularly based on the age thing. So not that I didn't want it, but it seemed like if I was predicting where it was going, they would probably think that they, you know, they would try out a relationship and decide that they didn't want to be in a relationship. I don't feel as strongly about that projection after this episode. Um, I also really appreciated that in our previous episode discussion, you kind of, my first thinking was like the age difference, but you brought up the power dynamic difference. And when they brought up, which again, I think that scene in the bar was so well-paced. I feel like if it had been friends, which I just finished my watch through last night, um, they would have drug out for an entire episode, them sitting in the bar and there would be canned laughter. And they would finally realize at the end of the episode that it was both of them. Um, And I really liked that in this one, that whole thing took a minute and a half. Like they got there, it was a little awkward. Then they realized they were together. but I like that the first thing they said was that I'm your boss. We can't do this. And I'm also like three times your, like that was the secondary thought. Yeah. And I, I, I'm a pedophile. You're 21 yeah. years old. Yeah. And I really like, you know, that not being, I don't, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think 
ageism needs to be such a focus on things. So I like this idea, especially what you brought up last time, which is that her ex-husband is with somebody much younger and it didn't seem like it was an issue at all. And whereas in this one, you know, it's got a kind of different angle to it. So I really, I really like the two of them. Um, and I like that they allowed it to be a romantic relationship. I guess I was thinking that once they realized who was who they would, kind of table the romance of it but i really like that they didn't i don't think that they need to uh table the romance of it and i i would love for the two of them to be together oh i i think that like so often in tv and movies when you have a older especially a a rich older woman with a younger man it's almost always portrayed as some kind of like sugar mama or like a gigolo Mm -hmm. type like you know you know, this is my pool boy, like those types of things almost always portrayed in a kind of a negative way that either this woman is a kind of a bit of a predator also, or she's just got this weird, you know, fetish for younger men. So I really appreciate that they didn't, they're not going any of that direction at all. And it just potentially exploring the relationship of an older woman and a younger man and not have it have all of this negative weight on it. And sure, that's probably all going to come in episodes to come there's when it it's probably going to be you know build as some sort of scandal Mm -hmm. because it's the owner and a player and everything else that you know we probably we already talked about we already you know treaded over um but i still felt like a lot of what we saw out of sam continued to tie in with that overarching theme of like what makes a man and sarah and i talked about it a lot um you know from maturity standpoint and there's like even when we're younger there's girls that date older men because of the this misnomer of an idea or you know misunderstanding of an idea that girls mature faster than boys so girls feel like they have to date older men because they're more mature when really like that's probably more anything about like physical maturity as opposed Mm -hmm. to actual maturity maturity and sam like as a character and as a person is is more mature as a 21 year old man than a lot of 40 or 50 year old men. I mean, even comparing it to other people in the ep- like comparing it to Jamie's dad, like Sam is more of a man than Jamie's dad is. Uh, so we see that. And that's what I think Rebecca really kind of connects with is, you know, this, you know, other mature human being who doesn't see her as an object, doesn't see her, you know, just sees her for who she is as a person. Uh, and he really, really likes her. And uh, we all, I mean, we also know Sam's always thought she's beautiful ever all the way back to somewhere in season one, when Rebecca thought that Sam was asking her out on a date right. to come and join them in the burning thing. And he said, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not asking you that though. That would be amazing. Cause you're very beautiful, but that's not what I'm asking you. Yeah. So like again, all of those seeds were all planted very early on. And I uh, do well. to, to that point, I really like kind of, even just talking about the way media has portrayed the idea of an older woman and a younger male. I think that society, especially our culture, you know, Western culture is so like, there's particular ideas of female beauty, beauty, and they generally cap out at a certain age, you know? And I just love that they're not like, yeah, that this idea that no, they're not even questioning the fact that she could be a beautiful older woman. Like that's just an obvious thing. And it feels counter to a lot of like, when you're waiting in line at the supermarket, who is on the cover of all of the magazines around you? Like, you know, there's a lot of institutionalized uh, ideas of beauty. And I think this books that. And I, I really, really like that. Um, 
I just said buck, which makes me think of the word book. And at the beginning, Sam is reading A Wrinkle in Time, which is, I believe, which is what he's reading when he his dad gets a hold of him. Yeah. And that's also the book that Roy reads in season one to like make him realize some significant stuff. I'm curious, have you read A Wrinkle in Time? Um, what was the significance of that book, do you think, specifically? And then that uh, brings me to a comment that we got from our, our first official comment from a listener um, that I want to bring up. Um, I read, I absolutely read it in like maybe fourth grade. I haven't to be, but I, I'm a, well, I'm afraid to say that, like, I don't remember <laughs> a freaking thing about it. So I don't know. And I feel like it's probably, we probably owe it to our, our listener mm-hmm. to have a better understanding of what relevance that plays because, right. That was a big epiphany for Roy of what kind of leader he needed to be. And Sam reading it, it clearly, there, there clearly is some big tie-ins um, to these characters and what the book means. And, and I think we need to figure that out. Maybe our listener does. Well, he has an idea on our, it was something we brought up last uh, week. Um, so it's from Django, who we all know as our co-host from uh, the Papcast, which this, this podcast is going up in that feed. And then hopefully... Hopefully within this week or when Django gets back, he's out of town right now. Uh, we'll get a devoted uh, feed for this podcast as well. And we'll make that very loudly known to everyone. But um, I was bringing up the, like kind of just the question of why was Roy, did it seem like the Da Vinci code was this like, you know, he was reading that the whole time and his revelations with it seemed to kind of annoy Keeley. And that was in the, the conversation about them just giving each other space. So Django says, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code is the most basic bitch version of a thriller book. It's fast and an entertaining read, but it's not hard at all. They give you the dumbest reader, they give you the dumbest reader enough info to solve a puzzle one page before the protagonist. And Roy is blown away at reveals. He is a simple, simple man. Um, And I love the Da Vinci Code for all of those reasons. You know, I love National Treasure and all the things that are that type of genre. But I liked that read on it. And I am such a fan of the character type that Roy is that, you know, my ability to just be like, oh, he's a simple guy wasn't immediately on the surface for me. But Django, not a simple man, but he's more in line with that personality type that I really, really like, which is uh, hard on the outside, but a very warm middle and like deeply caring, but maybe a little bit, uh, you have to get to know him first to kind of find that warmth. Hate and... showing his emotion, but it's it, there. Exactly. So I think it was easier for Django to be able to kind of identify that shortcoming of Roy than me. Cause I put Roy, like he's put him on a pedestal a little bit. I really love the character so much. So I, I, I like that read Django. I wonder how, I wonder how Roy feels about Tom Taylor. Oh, gotta be a big fan. Gotta yeah. be a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I was going back to my notes, kind of, kind of looking through as we got to the end of the episode. Um, and we did touch on it a little bit and just talking about like, what does this mean for the team? But I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know what you feel like it ultimately means for the team following that. I mean, it was the most devastating loss they've ever they had, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so they had those heavy moments, but I was just really rethinking like just, how badly they showed us the team getting destroyed by Manchester city. Um, so much of this season has shown us team building and them growing confidence in themselves. Um, the, we haven't talked about the haircut scene, um, mm, so but we just see so much of this team building. Like, what do you think the, 
the 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 effects for the next few episodes that this loss is going to have on like their confidence and their ability to you know move forward and and try to get out of relegation and 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 continue to grow as a team um yeah i think that's a great point um and i hadn't even immediately thought of what i think the emotional byproduct of the team is going to be but one thing that stood out um i think this episode is perfect i think this show is perfect and but the way that the story and i I didn't really bring this up when we were talking about the, the loss earlier but I think that the this formatting of this show and it being about people first and soccer, not even second, but like third or fourth. Um, I think the ambiguity of the standing of the team allows there to be a little bit of a disconnect for me when we do lose or when there are ties. Like, um, it was a bummer that they lost, but the music that was playing as they lost was almost like a comical music going on like it, it it didn't like draw out a scene of a slow missed kick or something it felt like that loss was really just a vehicle to have this conversation between jamie and his dad mm-hmm. um and kind of highlight what a piece of shit his dad is which also the casting for jamie's dad i don't know how they found a guy that looks so much like jamie i don't know if that's yeah. actually his dad but it's amazing kind of a bearded casting. like troll version of yeah him. yeah um uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess to your question, I hope that we don't find ourselves in a one or two episode spiral of people getting really down on themselves. Um, it sounds like we're going to be experiencing that with Coach Beard the next episode, but I would prefer it to be a thing with the coaches rather than the team. Because I feel like earlier in the season, we were kind of dealing with the frustrations of all the ties and then Jamie being brought in and there being some drama within the team. and. I, you know, I like the idea of the theme of the first season, which is be a goldfish, right? Like we lost this game, but we just got to keep going and winning. But I do think that, yeah, it does bring up this idea of we're building camaraderie and a love for each other. But outside of small moments like Roy taking uh, the captain to like the old high school pitch and stuff, um, we haven't necessarily seen a lot of scenes of them becoming great football players and they do bring up in this episode a couple of times the idea of the scouting process Roy says he's been ignoring scouting reports um Higgins admits that he messed up a timing thing so they yeah so it you know like there is room to bring in the idea we could bring in more fantastic players to get better but we're not necessarily seeing there's no 80s action movie montage of us all becoming great footballers you know I think you're I think you're right about the coaching staff needing to be the ones to reckon with it, because I mm-hmm. at the end of it, I think that they, they they do kind of cover that the commentators noting that, like, at this point, you're looking for someone to blame. And the coaching staff was just a mess. Right. Like Nate and and Coach Beard were kind of just yelling at each other. And all Ted could get out was him clapping. He said, all right, guys, like, come on, guys, let's go. Let's go, guys. Right. Like, there wasn't a lot of quality coaching happening there. And like you said, during their kind of truth session, right before the game started, um, we see where they kind of are all screwing up. And even, even Nate a little bit is like, well, I'm not coming up with these ideas spontaneously. Right. <laughs> like I've been, I've been waiting for, you know, everyone to fail to jump in. So I look like a genius. So like even Nate's kind of not necessarily thinking in the moment, he's more thinking, how can I make myself look really good as opposed to continue to improve the team. Um, 
so they they need to they need to figure that out a bit and how can they be uh you know better coaches and mm-hmm. actually make the adjustments and changes and they've they've done that a bit throughout the series but at the end of the day Ted's not a football or soccer coach he's you know he was a he's an American football coach uh and he even made reference to that in this yeah. episode he didn't he didn't call himself a football coach he called himself an American football coach Yep. He didn't even bring up soccer at all in the ER, which makes me think he's still kind of in this mentality that he is not a football coach. Um, and so there probably needs to do some mental shifts on that and figure out how to do that. And that might, maybe that's maybe my hope is that coach Beards comes out of a revelation of like, we need to, we need to figure out how to actually coach. Yeah. And maybe, maybe his journey is going to be learning to speak up a little bit and be willing to be the voice of sternness or something because yeah. maybe Ted falls short of that. And we got that powerful moment where he did that in the first season and it made a difference. Yeah. But maybe he needs to be that more. Yeah. I have to bring up that this episode had some of, for like, again, we have this common thing where sometimes we can just feel like, God, this show is just made for me or art art in general can do that. And the music in this episode um Perfect. Perfect. Down to the the point of right before the the big game happens, the symphonic piece that is playing is Dvorak's New World Symphony Number no. Nine, particularly the movement finale, which is I was raised in like wind ensembles and and it's one of my all time favorite pieces of music. I, I it started playing and I was like, oh my god, it's finale, which then you actually brought up the word finale earlier in this podcast. And I, I thought that was interesting because the movement um, within that is finale from the New World Symphony. And it's just an amazing piece of music. And then we get like, we got the Oasis, Don't Look Back in Anger. And then we get Keen's Somewhere Only We Know, which is a song I love. Like it was just the emotional beats uh, tied with music and the, the beat of the songs were timed perfectly with the moments as well, like with the door opening yep. and Sam standing there. And he even like smiles like perfectly to the sync of the music. Like so well done. I mean, it's it's quintessential Bill Lawrence, right? Where yeah, you're right. Maybe, That's you're totally right. Bill Lawrence and Scrubs could just nail a song at the right time. More specifically, like Bill Lawrence has always said that that is um, his wife. Uh, it was Kristen Miller, right? Who oh, was wow. also on Scrubs? That she's the one who always picks the music. So one, I was really, I was left wondering, like, was she responsible for picking the music? Because she was often left uncredited. But they did talk about that a lot on the the Scrubs podcast. That like everyone always wants to say it's Zach Braff or it's Bill Lawrence that right. picks all of the amazing music that works so perfectly, and they all deflect to Kristen Miller. So it made me wonder if she. Maybe we'll learn that at some point if she had anything to do with it. But yeah, it was it was perfect. I forget that connection, like Bill Lawrence's role in all of this. And I always kind of like go back to God, Jason Sudeikis is so good at making all of this stuff. But (laughs) no, like that. You're right. Scrubs did that better than most shows. And even down to the kind of indie music nature of Scrubs and this like it's a it feels like coming from uh, a person who has a big list of music that they love and they, you know, kind of trends that way so good catch um so i I want to talk about the haircut scene but maybe maybe just in general as the idea of like you know some of my complaints about last week's episode were completely washed away in this episode because where i felt like there was some 
you know, some of the story arcs of uh, last week's episode, like the Roy and Keeley stuff, where it was kind of filler content. This episode was just, to me, what made it so perfect is that, like I said before, there was no, there was no wasted screen time right. at all. Everything that wasn't revolving around like the main couple of story pieces that were happening, we're still continuing to build depth in the characters and the teams. And what this episode executed so well was all these little moments. And the haircut scene was the perfect example of the little moments. There's so many, there's so many players on the team. There's so many characters on the show. You know, we have our four or five, six main characters, but everybody on the team still needs their moment to continue to grow in depth. And they've given us those in all the different episodes where we get a little bit of Danny or we get a little bit of Isaac or a little bit of Colin. Uh, but this one was just such an, another great moment. And we've had a few of them in the first season of just building more depth of all of the characters on the team, building the camaraderie and just giving us just a couple of minute scene, but continues to tell us so much more. We learn about Isaac and we learn about all of the team and they're all having fun and it's, it's hilarious, but none of that time feels wasted because it just mm-hmm. gives us a little bit more uh, about the team. And we get other moments of those throughout the episode. Um, uh, you know, like Jamie talking to uh, Leslie in the closet, oh. which was another just incredible scene, a mm-hmm. short scene in itself that still had some tie-ins to the main themes of the episodes, but all of these little moments just made the show made the episode as great as it was. Cause it was, it was no time wasted and telling us, telling us uh, incredible things. And then to just drop like little nuggets that make you laugh. Like when the commentators are talking about how horrible the team played today yeah. with the only notable exception was how great Sam's hair looks. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, just fantastic through lines. And I loved it. Um, I totally agree with that scene. And to me, as I was watching it, especially the second time, I was really feeling that vibe right there. And I feel like it's right out of that scene. No, it's right before that scene. Um, that another just small moment to me was when uh, Rebecca gets the text from Sam saying, we're going to go to dinner. The shot of the way that Keely is leaning on Rebecca, just as they hang out on the couch together. And she's just like, how do you tell people you need to take a shit? Like, but the physical acting of that, like I adore Keely's, love for Rebecca the way that she just like it's it's not sexual but it's borderlines she's just like god you're a beautiful mountain of a woman like she like loves her and there's the way um that they just like are sitting on the couch texting on their phone and she's just leaning on her and it it just lends itself to this idea that uh intimacy and closeness doesn't always need to be sexual and it can be a thing that people of the same gender have. And, you know, I, I loved, I loved that scene and it, it mirrored perfectly in an antithetical way of like, there's the episode of friends where Ross and Joey take a nap together and they're like, Oh, we got to be ashamed of this and hide this. And, but it was such a good nap. And it's just like the opposite. Like, let's just buddy out and cut each other's hair and lay on each other on the couch while we're texting. Like friends can do that. And I just, I loved that scene and the warmth within it. She's such a good friend, like yeah. even calling her on FaceTime when she's supposed to be in there meeting Sam. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's got her, her, her mate, her face mask, makeup, ma- uh, whatever, you know, her face mask on and calls her like, no, no shame or care about that. But I do on that same point, I think it's, uh, an interesting way to also demonstrate that like a friendship can, ex- can ex- also exist in a superior 
subordinate yeah. relationship. Like they have, like Rebecca is Keely's boss as well, but they've had this, uh, they've been able to bond and grow an incredible friendship out of it. And they've been able to do it without letting the, um, you know, boss subordinate relationship right. get in the way, at least thus far, it hasn't gotten in the way like a single bit. They've just been uh, incredible friends. <laughs> um, can we, can we go back to yeah. Leslie in the closet? Uh, aside from the fact, I don't know how he got into the closet. Like, I don't get this how, man an office, get this man an office. Did he, did he back the desk in with him? Cause he was or completely assembled uh, it or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Pinched in there. Um, but you know, Leslie's been really great. Um, this last season, I would say maybe it's longer than that. I have to think about it for a minute, but with just, just these little wisdom, nugget bombs you know fathers and sons they should they should write songs about it yeah jamie's (laughs) like i think they do and but he dropped a line that like i had to i had to type down and go back and listen to it again because it was so powerful i felt but it was just you know i try to love my father for who he is and forgive him for who he isn't so will one thing that i would like to do and i was going to drop it on you on this episode um is as we move through these episodes each podcast i would love if we each chose our sort of pearl of wisdom from the episode or just the line, because I, a lot of my notes are just these great quotes from people. Um, but mine for this episode was that line. I try to love my father for who he is and, you know, forgive him for what he is not. And I think that is one of the most powerful lines ever. And I'm glad it also stood out to you. It did. Uh, so on that same note then of other lines that really stood out, um, we mentioned the one the uh, you know, I'm as good as the best of, uh, as the best you Yep, I thought was really, really good. And then, I mean, it was played up for a more comical, uh, moments of the episode, but the, none of your fucking business joke that was constantly coming, that came up several times through the episode when they're like, Ted has an emergency. He's not here. Well, why not? It's not yeah. our fucking business. Yeah. You would have told us if it was. And then Rory says, I got to go. It's an emergency. None and of none business. of your fucking business, which I think is just like, it's uh, the show kind of drops these little ideas on us that like, why do we always feel like we need to know what's going on? Like, why does, if somebody has an emergency or something going on, why do we always feel like we have to kind of find out like what's going on? Why, why mm-hmm. are they telling us? What are they hiding from us? And it's like, it's none of our fucking business all the way to the moment in the, in the pub with, is it May? Is that her name? Yeah. The bar. Bartender, yeah. Right. She said like, I, I already have a Richmond tattoo and he's like, Oh, where? She's like, None of your fucking business. Yeah. Uh, again, another moment that's great played up for laughs, but it's like, everyone's always trying to get up in everybody else's business. And I think as people, we can get better at not doing this. So that, that actually kind of stood out to me. I like that. No, just that idea the, a lot. Speaks to the respect between people, right? Like yeah. I respect you enough to not, worry about offending you by saying i'm not going to tell you this stuff and i think that people's ability to find peace with okay maybe i don't need to know that you know it just like it, it's trust and respect and i really i really love that um yeah another line that really stood out to me was when rebecca and sam you know uh, they kiss and she says never again i mean it and then she says i have to mean it and i thought that inclusion of the word have like i have to mean it is really powerful it, it just spoke the volumes of like you know it's not that i don't like this it's not that i don't like you but i feel personally because of our the power differential here that i i have to not allow this to be a thing and 
um, it was just really well, well written dialogue. Um, and then I had, uh, I guess I just, I mean, I love Ted as much this episode as I have any other episode. So he was just constantly spouting out stuff, but I wanted to just bring up the, I want to take us back to Ted and Sharon for a second, but, um, I liked the, the water and why not the chicken and the egg. Yeah. Um, I like that line a lot. Um, but all of that whole moment, we never, we didn't really talk about that when we talked about the Ted yeah. and Sharon stuff, we didn't talk about all the wine bottles there. Yep. Um, and kind of Ted, I mean, at that, that moment, Ted was obviously worried about Sharon, but he didn't really know how to express himself that he was genuinely worried about her. It was great when he finally made her laugh later in the episode to mm-hmm. see um, her finally letting down her walls just a little bit or being caught off guard and actually thinking something was funny but I'm wondering if if you think with is she an alcoholic or is she just lonely or you know like she's obviously seeking a therapist as well, but she is a therapist, so she she obviously recognizes how healthy it is to see a therapist. So that's yeah. not 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 necessarily abnormal by any means. No, I think that therapists in general, you're supposed to also see a therapist. Um, I I that's another thing about what's referred to as the therapeutic alliance, which is the dynamic between a therapist and the client. And I I think that what this show, it's fantastic. I think that it is a little wobbly on the line of the therapeutic alliance. Um, I'm in my notes, like, and that's this idea that uh, a therapist isn't supposed to be your friend. It's somebody that can care about you, but the importance of it is that you can be vulnerable with them and you don't have to worry about them liking you or not, you know? And in this episode, she gets the concussion. And I love that he, you know, says uh, in, he says whatever Latin thing of in concussion truth, because she makes this voicemail to him. And it is a really stinging message that she left him while she was concussed that says like, hey, if you want to call me and not say shit and walk around things and annoy me. And I was like, whoa, that would never happen with a therapist dynamic. Like it would actively not be allowed to happen. That's not okay. Um, and you know, there's been other little mentions of that. So I I think it's an interesting thing that the show does, which is trying to talk about the strength of therapy and people growing. And I think allowing this therapist to be a character that needs to grow is an important thing as well. So she's not perfect, but you're you're uh, saying that she would have never recorded a a fake memo like that on her phone as an exercise of like, and I guess I took it as was it a voicemail she left him? It was so my my takeaway from it was that it was like voice memos that she recorded on her phone mm-hmm. that while she was concussed she sent them she sent to Ted okay uh you know similar to like sending a drunk text or something like that but i guess my read on those voice memos was um again having never done therapy so i don't know if this is just a cliched exercise or not but the idea of like writing somebody a letter of all of your frustrations and anger, but not actually sending like write that letter and then, you know, don't send it, sleep on it, sleep overnight. And once you've found that you put all of those negative thoughts and feelings onto paper or put it, got it out of your mouth or got it out of your body and your system, that that's supposed to be an exercise to kind of help you, you know, move past some of those thoughts. So that was my kind of takeaway was that, she, uh, I kind of thought even just her, when she was riding on her bike, that she uses, you know, the idea that she uses her intelligence to deflect, but she yeah. also, 
I felt like she also uses kind of judgmental attitude and behavior as um, a form of, you know, venting or catharsis. And so whether it's recording those voice memos or going on her bike and, you know, insulting the dog wearing the sweater, like she, as a therapist, she is, her job is to be non-judgmental and to listen and everything else. And so that maybe she has formed these outlets, whether they're healthy or not, to be judgmental because she can't be judgmental in her line of work. So she, she does it to the random person walking a dog with a, with a stupid sweater on, or she's recording these messages that she has no intention of ever sending to Ted, um, but then accidentally sends because she is, um, you know, concussed. I, I like that read of it. And I, again, I would need to, you know, were they voice memos that she recorded personally or were they like, did she, concussive dial him a bunch and say these things and and i like the read of them being a personal act of catharsis um i would say like even still the possibility that they got sent um kind of really fundamentally breaks down the trust that exists like if i found out that my therapist said something like that even as a, like a form of catharsis uh that would be so damaging to me that i wouldn't really yeah. ever be able to talk to him again but even in like you know, when I was in school and talking about therapeutic alliance and whatnot, like you're not supposed to give gifts to your clients. You're not supposed to accept gifts from your clients. You're not really supposed to like hug. You're not supposed to let, um, and like my therapist I've been seeing for 10 years now. Uh, and you know, our relationship has fallen more into like a mentor role than a strict therapeutic one. So like that therapeutic alliance is a little bit uh, wobbly in our relationship as well. So it's not that it has to be really strict, but from a, from a look of like what a textbook would say, um, there's some boundaries that like, I remember for the first several years just being like, God, I really want this guy to like me because he's not giving me that. But ultimately realizing that the strength of that relationship is that he doesn't let me know whether he likes me or not. You know, like that's a really important thing. Um, But I think it's more important to show that she's growing. And I think that like a good instance of them showing uh, like kind of the role of a therapist was when they win that game and they're like, you want to come out drink with us? And then Sam's like, actually, I don't even know if I can talk to you at night. She's like, you guys want to, you know, this type of match, you get me for one drink. Like that, that it was a well illustrated scene of there's got to be a separation, but I can also choose to be friends with you guys so i don't think the show is bad at it but i do think that it maybe um allows a little bit more drama to be a part of it than i do think therapy strictly should have that being said you know i don't think i'm not trying to fall on the side of hey this is how therapy should be represented and you're bad if you don't do it correctly i think it does a better job of showing therapy than most things as for my concern for the character yeah i guess i seemed more like loneliness to me because we've also seen like one of the things i would say you could poke at ted is that he does drink a lot out of sadness you know like in the christmas episode earlier in this first season that happens like he has his own kind of he deals with loneliness or uh, problems by drinking and so if anything you know i think he's probably concerned about her but also maybe identifies with her you know maybe maybe she's got like alcoholic tendencies but also like you know, she was hanging out watching the game at night with Ted and she wasn't drinking then. Like there's, I don't think they're hammering that point home so hardly at this point that I am worried about her personally. You're, you're right 
you're right about Ted, you know, kind of going through those lonely moments and also drinking a bit. And, um, and then that just made me think about like, you know, Ted, Ted was not, I don't, you know, put up in, in some version of a corporate housing as well. There's so many parallels that when uh, Sharon's therapist says you guys are exactly the same, right? Like, even though they're kind of different people, they still have all of the exact same things. They're also going through a lot of the same stuff, right? They're both a bit of, you know, she was obviously moved here for work. So she's a bit of a fish out of water uh, just as well in a place that's maybe not her home and uh, doesn't really have anybody else to connect with except for people over the phone or people at work. And she has to approach the relationship with people at work differently than Ted, um, but they're both going through a lot of the exact same journey. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic to introduce that. Mm-hmm. And then to continue to do some more of the kind of uh, Ted Lasso teasing uh, relationship status when they like, oh, your husband can take you home now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, are they going to try and make them a relationship now? I don't, I'd be into that. Yeah. It's like, I don't think so because you don't, I don't know if you often see therapists begin relationships yeah. with you with their patients that might be another overstep of the line mm-hmm. um but that would be that would be interesting nonetheless to play with that that idea uh, a little bit more as they got to know each other and realize that despite them being so cold to each other and standoffish um at the beginning of this season to get to continue to grow to learn that they have a lot in common uh despite them seemingly seem, uh, being so different of individuals yeah yeah did you think that that was Roy's sister in the ER? Because they gave us that information almost immediately after when Roy was at the oh, school. Oh, interesting he said, idea. He said, it my sister works at the ER at all night long, right. having to deal with, you know, I think he said something like having to deal with, you know, a bunch of idiots coming in all the time. And that scene immediately followed yeah. Ted being in the hospital, talking to an ER doctor. Um, who seemed like a very level-headed person, individual. And Ted never said, I'm a football coach. Like I said, he said, I'm an American football coach. You would think that she would know who Ted Lasso was, uh, given everything else, if that was her. So that was maybe the one thing that made me think that it wasn't her. But she also works a lot. And she That's might a, not pay attention to football at all. great catch. I did that, I didn't, that didn't occur to me. But that's the type of thing that I do... Uh, connect with things, you know, so good, good catch. Um, I guess as we near the end here, the, the last thing I do want to say that I thought was just a, a really pro social, beautiful thing that this episode did was um, yeah. When, and I did mention earlier, but when the doctor tells Ted, Hey, I was really scared. Um, and he's like, Oh, do you want to talk about that? And she's like, no. And then when Ted is able to tell her that his dad committed suicide and she's like, do you want to talk about that now? And he's like, no, I just think that that is really beautiful. I think Mm -hmm. that the things that we hold inside the things that we have a hard time sharing, I think a lot of times that we have a hard time sharing it is because we don't know how to then talk about it after admitting it. And I, I think that there's so much catharsis in just putting the words out there and telling somebody. And I really loved that neither one of them needed to follow up on that. In fact, they needed to not follow up on it, but the importance of just telling somebody something uh, was shown. And I thought that it was another one of my absolute favorite parts of this episode was just like 
sometimes all we have the strength to do is to say the thing and we don't can't find the resolution for it at that moment but we just ha- have to say it so uh hats off ted lasso yeah on that on that note of not being able to say the things that we have to um I think in a minute here, I got to go reapply my lip liner. So, oh yeah, buddy. Hey, you go get that lip liner. Um, listen, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, we're going to include it at the probably beginning as an intro us talking about this, but um, I don't think we talked about it last week. The game plan is for us to be uh, each week talking about the final episodes of these seasons. And then um, once the season's over, we're going to try and well, not try. We're going to go back to the beginning and try and fill the Friday void of Ted Lasso by giving everybody uh, our journey back through the series. Uh, I might even have to rewatch the first season again before we do that, because I'm just so I got to see angry Rebecca rather than wonderful Rebecca. But um, that's the game plan for now. Should we make it a contest to see how many times we can both rewatch the first season before we actually talk about the first season? I, I, yeah, I think you have like a, a you know a month and a half of watching and rewatching ahead of me, uh, but uh, I'll try my best. It's yeah, it's it's good. There's one episode in that season that um, stresses me out enough that I've actually only watched it the one time. But we'll touch on that as we journey back through the series. Um, but Will, thanks as always for joining me here, buddy. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Uh, Let's keep doing this. Let's keep doing it. And we will. Everyone, uh, if you got any questions or feedback, you can text us. A lot of you have our numbers. Um, Or you can send me an email at jeff at thecomicsplace.com. And I'll make sure that we check into it while we're doing this. And maybe I'll create a different email address so this podcast doesn't feel intrinsically tied to the comic shop. But uh, that's an email that I make sure and check business-wise. So, um yeah. All right. We'll see everybody next time for episode nine. Episode nine, Beard After Hours. Oh, I can't wait. Thanks again, Will.